If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week we're going to talk about the origin of the word gerrymandering and about the word data. Is it singular or plural? Let's get started. I've been hearing the word gerrymandering a lot in the news lately. For example, a North Carolina court ruled that its state's partisan gerrymander was unconstitutional. And the 538 website just finished a six-part podcast series called The Gerrymandering Project. It's a hot issue in American politics right now, but gerrymandering also struck me as an odd word, and I started wondering about its origin, which turned out to be interesting. Although most other democracies are also at least theoretically susceptible to gerrymandering, it appears to have started in the good old U.S. of A. Sorry. Gerrymandering is fiddling with the boundaries of electoral districts to give your group some kind of advantage. Patient zero for gerrymandering was Massachusetts all the way back in 1812, when the governor signed a bill that redrew the state's district lines to give an advantage to the Democratic-Republican Party over the competing Federalist Party. That governor's name was L. Bridge Gary, spelled G-E-R-R-Y. The Federalists were outraged, and according to Smithsonian Magazine, a Federalist dinner party conversation led to the idea that the shape of one new district resembled a monster. One guest, Elkanah Tisdale, drew a long-necked, clawed monster over the map, causing another guest to comment that it looked like a salamander. And then the poet Richard Alsop commented that no, it was not a salamander, but a gerrymander, in honor of Governor Gary. Other sources credit Federalist newspaper editors, including Nathan Hale, with inventing the term. But either way, the cartoon appeared in the Boston Gazette and solidified the name and concept in the American imagination. By 1848, the word had found dictionary acceptance. And you'll notice that the term was originally pronounced gerrymander to reflect the pronunciation of Governor Gary's name. But given that the first radio stations didn't start broadcasting until the early 1900s, there was no mass media to tell people how to pronounce the word they were reading. And people began to interpret the word as gerrymander, so that's what we call it today. The two most common methods of gerrymandering are called cracking and packing. 
Cracking takes certain kinds of voters, those of a certain race or political party, and spreads them out over many districts so they don't have enough votes in any one of them to win. Packing takes all those voters and instead packs them into one malformed district so they win that one district but no others. According to Elbridge Gary's descendants, he was reluctant to sign the gerrymandering bill. So unfortunately, he's probably rolling, cracking, and packing in his grave to have his legacy be that his name is associated with this villainous political practice. If you want to see the original gerrymandering cartoon, I've put it up on the transcript of this article. So just go to quickanddirtytips.com and search the site for gerrymandering. And now, on to data. Let's say you just backed up your computer, and you get a message that says, your data is now safe. Super! But wait, should that be, your data are now safe? The word data comes to English from Latin, in which datum is the singular and data is the plural. If you're sticking with that history, it should be, your data are now safe. Data. Plural. But I bet that sounds weird to a lot of you, because since the 1940s, people have been using data as a singular noun more and more often, especially in general writing. It's not the first plural Latin noun to decide that it might be happier as a singular, either. Consider agenda. It also comes from Latin and has a singular form, agendum. But if you ask your coworkers about the agendum for Monday's meeting, you're likely to get weird looks. Almost everybody thinks of agenda as the singular, so much so that Dictionary.com includes agendas as the possible plural of agenda. In fact, the corpus of contemporary American English includes almost 2,500 examples of agendas, including talk of government agendas in the Texas Law Review, competing agendas in the Chicago Sun-Times, and global agendas in the Lancet. Data hasn't made as much of a complete shift to the singular as agenda has, though. Oxford Dictionaries maintains that data has developed two separate meanings. The original plural meaning that conveys the idea of multiple data bits or pieces, and a singular meaning that acts as a mass noun, roughly equivalent to the word information. Dictionaries and news sites, including the Wall Street Journal and The Guardian, and style guides, including the Chicago Manual of Style, have updated their recommendations to allow that data can be singular or plural. However, science and medicine are two areas where treating data as plural has held on tighter than in other areas. For example, APA style, the style of the American Psychological Association, specifies that data is plural, as do the guidelines for the Journal of the American Medical Association. Garner's modern English usage actually calls data a skunked term, meaning you can't win. Whether you treat it as singular or plural, someone will think you're wrong. One solution is to try to write around the problem for example, by using the terms data point or information. After that computer backup, your information is now safe, would be an equally satisfying completion message that also wouldn't annoy people who think data should be plural. Another important point to consider is when to use much and when to use many. If you're treating data as a mass noun, singular, use much. 
much data suggests that snails are drawn to chocolate. Just as you'd say, much poetry is underappreciated, or much of my favorite art is in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. If you're treating data as the plural of datum, then use many. Many data suggest that snails are drawn to chocolate. Just as you'd say, many poems are about love or loss, or many of my favorite paintings are at the MoMA. The bottom line is that in general writing, you're free to use data as singular or plural, depending on what sounds right to you. But know that if you treat it as singular, some people might complain. If you want to use a singular noun, it's safer to use a synonym, such as information or evidence. And if you're writing about science or medicine, definitely treat data as plural. I'm still catching up on all the messages that came in while I was away. Hello to Tom, who listens in his car in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Patrick, who listens while driving and at work doing tax prep and bookkeeping. And thank you for the reviews to Lexi Conqueror, a technical writer who listens in Vancouver, Washington, and Kim, who listens while doing arm workouts in New York City. I just started doing arm workouts myself for the first time in a long time, and it hurts. I'm glad I could help you through it. I also find it to be a good time to practice counting in Spanish, and I was doing really well until I tried to count backward. (laughs) I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. Remember that you can find all my old articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe so you can always get the newest episode. That's all. Thanks for listening. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.